0: Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter, and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjogalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast.
1: home to the world's largest medical center.
0: This is your health first, the most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe
1: Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease.
0: Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati. Well, a good Sunday evening to everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks for spending an hour with us. We are here every single Sunday evening between 7 and 8 p.m. Something around 17 years we've been doing this and it really for me is part of the you know the best hour of the week for me. Now, on the program tonight Howard Wong, he is the relatively new medical director of the Lung Transplant Program at Houston Methodist Hospital right here in the Texas Medical Center, and I want him to come in not not only to talk about those indications for a lung transplant, which really is end-stage lung disease, but... Some of the more common things we could talk about to you know, what you can do to keep your lungs healthy. So, Dr. Wong is in the studio tonight. He'll be on in a little while. And also, go to the website, www.drjoegalotti.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Everything we're talking about tonight is on the website. All right. So, uh, hopefully, you had a great Sunday. The weather, it was. Horrible towards the end of the week, and it warmed up pretty nicely. Hopefully, you had a chance to go out and exercise. I went, uh, I did exercise this weekend, went to a uh, farmer's market this afternoon, bought some fresh cauliflower, some fresh beets, and spinach. So, I've got my vegetables for the next few days lined up. One thing I want to chat about this segment is one little saying that I have, and if you're a patient of mine, I, I say this at least a dozen times a day, eating out is a hazard to your health. And people look at me and they say, really? And I, I am convinced that so much of the obesity and heart disease and fatty liver and uh, hypertension that we see is directly related to eating. Hence, I felt that way enough to write a book about it, but last evening, my wife and I, we were toying around with, uh, you know, cooking at home, which is what we we do the vast majority of the time. And she had said, well, maybe we could cook at home on Sunday and maybe we should go out. Uh, and I said, well, and I tend to be not a picky eater, like I don't eat certain things. I am picky on where I go to eat to in a sense, strive for healthful food. And so we went back and forth and we arrived at going to this Italian restaurant, which we have eaten at a few times before. I said, but I'm very concerned that their, their uh, dishes all tend to be very creamy and cheesy and things that I just don't like that are not good for you. So as we were driving there, she pulled up the menu on her phone and she went through a couple of things and there was this one dish which was garlic, olive oil, broccoli in a uh, with a the pasta was a more of a shell. And I said, okay, there you go. Minimal, if any, cheese, olive oil, lots of garlic and a vegetable. I said, okay, I could I could eat that and not feel too guilty. Well, we ordered it, and it came out not made properly to my standards. Now, what the heck are my standards? Well, back in the kitchen, they must have added flour as some sort of a thickener or thickening element to it. And this was a pasty, high-calorie, high-carb, more carbs than I had anticipated – kind of a dish. And I ate maybe a third of it. And as I was eating it, I'm saying, this is not a a healthful meal. So what I thought was olive oil, garlic, and a vegetable with some pasta turned into something that I did not really enjoy. Now, some may call me a food snob. Not Not in a bad way. My food is better than your food. I think my job as a physician, seeing patients and here on the radio, is to make everybody aware that you have to take more interest and more concern in what you're eating. Now, because we're not eating at home, which is the truth, we simply accept what is dished out. We have lost our ability to discern a healthful meal from an unhealthy meal. And you you all have to make that connection of what we eat. Are you trying to appreciate the flavor, the taste, the nutritional value, or there or lack thereof, and how it ties back to your own health and wellness? We are in a society where we eat. And don't put any thought into it. So really, you know, what's the message for tonight? Keep in mind, and I'll go back to the beginning, eating out is a hazard to your health. You will order food and think that it's a bargain because they're giving you a lot and all the cheese. And look, this is a bargain. Look how much I could eat. And we're losing sight of how it is made. What are the ingredients? What's the portion size? Is it over salted? Is it over cheesed? And until we get to that point, we're still going to have problems with obesity and all of its downhill complications. And I don't have to say it again, but I will. Heart disease, hypertension, kidney disease, fatty liver, diabetes, nerve damage, stroke, heart attack, cancer. And so... You know, am I never going to go out and eat again? Well, it just reinforces I told my wife, we're never going back here again. It's just one of those things. Eating out is a hazard. You all have to be careful. And if we could just eat more at home, I think we'd all be better off. All right, we're going to take a break right now. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. Dr. Howard Wong will be coming up talking about lung disease in a little while. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati, this is Your Health First. Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com, drjogalati.com. He's a cut off pretty short. Josh, what happened? All right. He he leaned short bed. All right. No problem. All right. What I wanted to do here is talk about some things in the news. There is a columnist with the New York Times, Anahad O'Connor. And as I've said before, he is an up-and-coming writer for them. And he sticks in the nutrition, food, exercise uh, space. He wrote an absolutely outstanding article about exercise, and I believe the New York Times has taken off the requirement for you to be a subscriber to get this article. It is comprehensive in that it talks about strength strength training, and I looked at it, and I was uh, at the gym yesterday and today going through the various exercises. This is almost a no-brainer. If you want to get in shape with strength training, either at a gym or at home, this really is for you. I I believe I posted it on our we- uh, Facebook page. If not, I will after the program tonight. But it is an excellent resource for people of all ages to look at with regard to some strength training and... Uh, Uh, how to follow a program. It really is is pretty good. There's another article that came across my uh, desk this week, and it has to do with tainted supplements. And this is forever an ongoing problem. And so the article, it is, when you read it, I've got it right here, it is absolutely scary because... There are, and and the majority of these are for male sexual enhancement. And the commercial will say, all natural. All right? Our special formulation, all natural. But what they're not telling you is that it has Viagra and Cialis in it. And so this is a huge problem. And so what is happening People are poisoning themselves. And so what happens is a uh, a man is having some erectile dysfunction problem. He is embarrassed. He does not want to go to his doctor. He doesn't want to tell anybody. But he sees an ad for a natural supplement. Who wouldn't try this? And so they try it. They're getting all kinds of garbage, herbs, and whatnot, and... Just a touch of Cialis, just a touch of Viagra, and that is not good. Now, at the same time, there are men that are going to their doctor and saying, I would like a prescription for Viagra, and the doctor says, no, Bob, you've got a bad heart, maybe you've got bad lung disease, and Dr. Wong could comment on that, but there's something wrong with you where I do not believe you should be taking Viagra or Cialis. It's like okay. So what do you do? You get you buy the supplement, the natural supplement. But it also has Viagra in it, which you do not know about. These are compounds that are not controlled by the FDA. And it is a problem. Other weight loss products have all sorts of medications that have been taken off the market. They com- they contain antidepressants Prozac and this is a story that just will not go away these companies are still out there so once again it is buyer beware you have to be very very careful now here's another article from the New York Times is eating deli meat really bad for you all right everybody you know loves their deli meat I tell my patients, do not eat deli meat because of the high salt content. So, this is an interesting statistic here by the American Institute for Cancer Research. We see a 4% increase in the risk of cancer even at 15 grams of the deli meat, which is a slice of ham, one slice says the director of research for the American Institute for Cancer Research. Eating a more typical serving of 50 grams, which is about a standard sandwich, increases the risk of colorectal cancer by 18% based on a 2011 review. Now, they're saying red meat, there is a link with colorectal cancer, but as the... Cancer Institute is saying it advises people to limit red meat, but avoid processed meat. Avoid. That means none. Nil. Zip. So what are processed meats? Just so we're all on the same page here. It refers to any meat, including pork, poultry, lamb, goat, or others that have been salted, smoked, cured, fermented, or otherwise processed for preservation or enhancement of flavor. This includes hot dogs, ham, bacon, turkey, corned beef, pepperoni, salami, smoked turkey, bologna, and other lunch and deli meats, sausage, corned beef, and beef jerky, canned meat, and meat-based preparations and sauces, amongst others. You're probably sitting there saying, oh my God, what are we going to eat? Well, eat something a little bit more natural and plant-based. All right, two last things. I you know, I don't watch too much TV, but every so often I see these these ads for things that make me want to get sick. All right, so there's this one thing called Zona Plus. Dr. Wong, you could just nod your head. Have you ever seen that commercial? No, he's never seen it. Okay. We got two minutes, right? Okay. So Zona Plus, one of the guys that is on the TV show, the doctors, in Uh, is, uh, is representing them. It is for $599, you get an isometric hand grip that is supposed to lower blood pressure. Now, I see this, and I say for all these people out there that have hypertension, maybe a little diabetes, some kidney disease, you're saying, hey, Harriet, I don't want to take medicine. I'm going to go buy... This gadget, and I'll lower my blood pressure because this guy is a TV doctor. It's FDA. It's not FDA approved. Uh, all these people are claiming that it's excellent. Again, buyer beware. This is to me a bit of a hoax. I can't. I can't believe that your rank and file person with high blood pressure is just going to buy this let alone at $600. But, you know, beware. The other thing is another commercial on Golo for Life. This is a weight loss supplement. It is a number of herbs, and it claims that it controls your diabetes naturally. What they don't tell you is that they want you to follow a diet. And, oh, by the way, take this supplement. $60 a month for this. You could buy a lot of organic spinach for $60. All right, coming up after the break, Dr. Howard Wong, Medical Director of the Lung Transplant Program at Houston Methodist. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m., trying to raise your Health IQ one listener at a time. And uh, as I've been talking about early in the evening, it is a great honor to have Dr. Howard Wong. He is the medical director of the lung transplant program at Houston Methodist Hospital and the J.C. Walter Jr. Transplant Center. New member of the family here Howard, thanks for coming in tonight and your uh, maiden appearance on Your Health First.
1: Oh, great. This is exciting. Thank you very much for the invitation.
0: Oh, absolutely. And there's so much with regard to lung disease and uh, all the different facets to, to chat about. So first, lung disease. Uh, uh, how did you get into this? What, what's your uh, passion for going into lung disease?
1: Well, I first became interested as a uh, when I was doing my training in internal medicine, and I just kind of gravitated towards um, these patients who were really desperately ill with respiratory illnesses that were in the intensive care unit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, you know, this is where you're, you have the really excitement of being able to to turn somebody's severe pneumonia around. And, mm-hmm. Um, get him past this you know life-threatening illness and uh, that that was kind of the the beginnings of my interest uh, yeah and, and then the physiology and kind of the the, the broad categories of lung disease that that um, that are involved really kind of drew me into it
0: yeah you know a question that I ask all the various specialists that come in here is because I put so much weight into communicating with the patient with their, family and caretakers, and that is a a big chunk of what we do with our patients besides intervening and and doing various procedures and, and medical therapies. But from your perspective, when patients come to you, and maybe they're a new patient or it's a new diagnosis that you provide them with, what is your sense as far as the general understanding of lung disease? When you start talking about uh, the symptoms or the treatments, what, where, are, where are the general public at? I think that's a,
1: an area that really needs uh, a lot of education in general uh, because breathing or just you know, lung health is one of these things that most of us take for granted. Right. You don't think about having to take, well, most people without lung disease don't think about taking that next breath or think about how, how hard I'm working to, to, to breathe.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's not a conscious thing for the vast majority of people
1: who otherwise don't have lung
0: disease. Right. Are, do a lot of patients, when when they come and they're lamenting of a certain symptom, which we'll get into in, in a few minutes, is there the sense that a light went off to say, gee, this is abnormal and I shouldn't be short of breath for, uh, you know, just – you know, getting up from the kitchen table to drop my plate off, um, uh, it, are we at that level or, uh, you know, the degree of sophistication, I guess, in the patients that, that not only you see but, you know, the general pulmonologist sees, what, what's, what's the sense out there?
1: Well, I think it really depends on the patient uh, and how attuned they are to, to how they're feeling from day to day. Um, And for example, so somebody who runs regularly, it's going to notice that they're having some impairment much sooner than somebody who is largely sedentary. Yeah, Um, They're not going to really pick up on shortness of breath. Um, You know, maybe traveling or going to a different setting, like, for example, going to altitude and suddenly being completely gassed.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: You know, that's a hint that there's something going on.
0: Would you say there is one common question that patients or their care – takers will ask you about their lung problem.
1: I think that the biggest thing that people want to know is what's, what does the future hold? What's right. the, the prognosis? Is this something – and is it going to get better? Is there something we can do to, to make things better?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. Let's let's get into a few things for everybody listening tonight. In, in everybody that comes in here with me, we want you all, the listeners, the fans of Your Health First – to, to really expand your knowledge and understand, because if you, you the listener, you, the uh, general public, are unaware of these symptoms, then you're not going to connect the dots and say, wait a second, this is wrong. So, so Howard, what are some of the, the uh, common symptoms that somebody with a lung problem may report? Yeah. So that, that's a good question. There, there are several things. Um, one is just
1: a sensation of shortness of breath, especially mm-hmm. when you exert yourself. Um, and this usually becomes more prevalent or, or uh, something that really comes to the forefront, uh, something that you really notice as the disease progresses. Um, and a lot of times, one of the problems is that people kind of minimize their symptoms. Right. They think, well, maybe I'm just out of shape because I haven't been working out. I'm getting older. That's what the normal trend is, and right. well, this is nothing out of the ordinary. So they tend to minimize their symptoms. Right. Uh, another common one is uh, a cough that doesn't go away. Right. Um, and a lot of times it's diagnosed as asthma or maybe bronchitis or you know some, um, maybe some sort of infection. And um, you know if you're having to be treated repeatedly for the same symptoms that do not resolve, that suggests there may be some sort of underlying problem. Okay. What else? Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, you know, kind of going to a, a different setting, you know, so this kind of th- – this dyspnea or shortness of breath at altitude, that's really kind of a, a warning signal. Right. That there's probably some problem because at altitude, you don't have – the air is not as rich in oxygen um, and a lot of times people with chronic lung disease when they're taken to the altitude um, notice that. And that, yeah. that includes flying on commercial airlines.
0: So people with lung disease may get more symptomatic in the plane? Yes, uh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. How about uh, phlegm? Phlegm, so chronic
1: sputum production. Sputum, right. And um, so that's one of these kind of, you know, and and it's normal to have that if you have some sort of acute viral infection, you pick up a cold, something like that. But that typically should get better. But if you're having it for months on end, you know, kind of a chronic presentation of these symptoms, then... That may also suggest that there's a problem.
0: Yeah, the other thing is the color of the phlegm: white, yellow, green, red. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, again, I would think, as the non-pulmonologist, a white phlegm is maybe not as bad, though it could be, as yellow or green. So what? What? What do you think? Uh, that's true. Prove I mean, me that... wrong. Prove me wrong here. <laughs> so,
1: well, it's hard hard to prove, Doctor Galati. Yeah, wrong, but. Uh, I think the uh, the thing that really alarms people, obviously, is if they cough up anything red that right. looks like blood. That that triggers a major, you know, like a five-alarm scenario. Right. Um, but usually, you know, if you're coughing up a lot of green or yellow sputum, that suggests there's chronic inflammation and maybe chronic infection in the airways. Um, some other diseases may be associated with chronic, you know, thick white sputum production. but Right. To, um, you know, usually it should be clear and it shouldn't be an overwhelming amount. So yeah. if you find it, it's a, a huge amount. Um, right. You're filling up the bottom of an eight-ounce cup, for example. Yeah. Um, that's that's above average, I would
0: say. Yeah. I, I would say, I think you hit it on the head where people will minimize and people will, you know, uh, liver patients that I'm seeing, uh, we go through a little review and, yes, they're short of breath. And, and they say, well, you know, Dr. Galati, I just turned 50. You know, I haven't worked out in three years. And I'm like, uh no, you have fluid in your chest, and that's why you're short of breath. Do you do you and, and this gets sort of gets back to, you know, the understanding, do, do patients connect the severity of or or the implication of being short of breath, or the implication of coughing with something more severe, or are they very nonchalant about it? Well, I think it's one of these things that if it's chronic,
1: then you become kind of desensitized to it over time. Yeah. Until the symptoms really drive you to seek medical care. Right. You know. And so, you know, over time, it it, it you know, if things progress, then it gets to a point where you you just can't deny it
0: anymore. Right.
1: All right. So for
0: clarity, true or false, shortness of breath needs to be brought to the attention of their primary care.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, you know that's something that should come up in the. Conversation, especially if it's persistent or uh, uh, you know something that that isn't associated with a clear you know acute kind of episode, uh, right. Like having a cold or right. you know, kind of th- those sort of symptoms.
0: And and I but, would say ditto with the chronic cough and phlegm and mucus. Yes, that that, that I would say so. All right, good. All right, so that's uh, that's excellent. Um, wh- what are some of the statistics on smoking? It, it seems like we've hit a plateau. In the number of people smoking, and from what I'm reading and talking with people, there may be actually an increase in youth smoking. Is that is that true? Uh, yes, and that actually really has come to the forefront,
1: you know, especially with the advent of these non-combustible um, nicotine delivery products, so these vapes. Um, but you know, going back to the the whole overall prevalence of smoking, so you know, over the last four or five decades, we've really actually made some significant pro- progress in getting people to stop smoking. Right. So uh, uh, I just looked this up uh, uh, before I came on, and, and apparently back in 1965, about four out of ten people in general in the population smoked. Right. And the last CDC report that was released in 2017 um, indicated that, that that cigarette smoking in adults has reached an all-time low in the United States. So we're talking around 14, 15%. Right. Um, okay. So, so substantial uh, reduction uh, over over the decades. Yeah. But I think the problem now is that you have this new wave of devices that are resulting in people becoming addicted to nicotine right and, and it's, some uh, of those are going to start smoking again yeah. so you potentially may reverse this trend
0: over time if i you know. have
1: more people who are hooked on nicotine
0: that's the problem all right we're going to take a break we're with dr howard wong director of the lung transplant program at houston methodist hospital i'm dr joe galati this is your health first stay tuned we'll be right back Final segment of Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. All right. And everybody else, go to drjoegalati.com. And, of course, the book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, lots of other online sources. All right. In the studio, we've been talking with Howard Wong, latest member of the J.C. Walter Jr. Transplant Center family. You enjoying yourself in Houston so far? oh yeah absolutely it's a it's a homecoming it's a homecoming absolutely you grew born and raised here in uh houston so all right so let's uh for the last another minute or so vaping so for parents listening tonight grandparents coaches teachers or the youth there's a false sense that vaping is okay what do you think
1: Well, I think for for young people in particular, it is not okay, Uh, And the the reason is because uh, these are vehicles to nicotine addiction. Right. Some of these young people will then go on to smoke. And uh, there was a recent JAMA article that came out um, showing that your likelihood of becoming a smoker if you vape as a teen is about 400 percent more than if you weren't wow so four yeah so so th- this is really a, a setup for for future tobacco and tobacco product uh,
0: dependence right so uh, you know all all I could say is if one of your kids is at home and they are vaping and they and and you look at them and you say well oh this is a thousand times better than having a, a pack of camels in their pocket uh yeah it, you would agree your opinion is it's better than Smoking a cigarette. Yeah, it's, it's better, but it's certainly not uh, benign. Uh, harmless. And, yeah. and,
1: and the other thing to consider is the, the chemical effects on a developing brain, right? which is uh, not entirely understood, and there are many negative
0: effects. Right. All right. All right. So that's, that's the other message for tonight. All right. So you were um, recruited to come to Houston Methodist to head up the lung transplant program, and a lot of people are... Uh, in the dark about what a lung transplant program is all about. So why don't you why don't you tell everybody who is it? Who is that patient that may need a lung transplant? Who is it that should think about a lung transplant and what you and your team uh, are able to fashion for these people?
1: Yes, uh, so uh, the lung transplant is a it's a treatment option. Um, it's, it's not really a cure, but mm-hmm. it's an option for people who have very advanced lung disease. Usually these are people uh, who have failed medical therapies, mm-hmm. or perhaps they have a condition that there is no medical therapy available. And um, they usually have gotten to the point where they become oxygen dependent, mm-hmm. um, and the disease is likely to result in an early demise. Um, and so the, the lung transplant is a potential option that – That would uh, hopefully not only extend somebody like this, uh, extend their life, but also improve their quality of
0: life. Yeah. Now, what what are the diseases, the conditions that uh, they may have had for a good number of years that ultimately leads them to that end stage disease condition?
1: So the, the two leading indications for lung transplant these days are, uh, one, uh, pulmonary fibrosis. So these mm-hmm. are conditions that result in progressive scarring in the lungs that then uh, lead to uh, a loss of lung function and end-stage lung disease. Mm-hmm. The other major category is COPD. And so these are um, diseases that result in damage to the lung tissue and also the airways um, that prevent air from exiting the lungs, So it's the O in COPD is obstructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and these people usually suffer from very poor quality of life. Um, they're very dyspneic or short of breath all the time, and some of them end up on oxygen. Um, and uh, they they uh, are, would compose the, the second group, the largest group of uh, transplant candidates.
0: Yeah. Now, for everybody listening tonight, I am sure there are people that are sitting there tonight and say, hey, I've got COPD. Do I need a lung transplant? Or they have COPD and they are traveling around with their little oxygen concentrator or tank of oxygen in, in their house. Hey, do I need a, a lung transplant? What, what is that line that people cross to say, you know, your rank and file guy with COPD versus the person that needs to be considered for a lung transplant?
1: So, so there's uh, several kind of warning signs in people with COPD. You know, granted, not everybody with COPD needs a lung transplant right. or should mm-hmm. be even uh, considered for a lung transplant. Uh, many people can be uh, managed and managed well um, with uh, medical therapies, inhalers, uh, med- medicines, things like that. One of the biggest things is to stop smoking. You have to stop the ongoing injury. And don't vape either. Right. Vaping (laughs) doesn't, uh, um, if vaping will help you stop smoking, maybe that's, you know, kind of an intermediate step. But certainly you want to kind of stop inhaling um, noxious substances in your lungs. Um, About 90% of people with COPD have some sort of smoke exposure in the Mm -hmm. past. At least in the developed world. Now in the developing world, then that's you know there's other sorts of exposures like you know cooking fires and things like that. But the a lot of times this is a kind of an environmental exposure on right. top of perhaps genetic factors that then lead to COPD. Right. Now the, the people with COPD who need to be um, you know considered for transplant are the ones that are ending up in the hospital. Right. Um, for an exacerbation, a flare up. You know, ones that can't uh, maintain the weight they're spending so much energy breathing that they are losing weight um, you know people who are deteriorating functionally ending up uh, in a wheelchair and immobile
0: and right progressively
1: right. debilitated yeah, those the, are people that are not going to do well with yeah, COPD
0: yeah these are people that their quality of life is just you know crashing and uh, not doing well one one word on pul- pulmonary fibrosis for the most part this this may not have a known trigger is that right
1: well, there's a, that's actually a very broad category. So there are, there are some diseases that fall into this pulmonary fibrosis um, group that, that have a known um, cause. So radiation or some type of drug uh, mm-hmm. exposure in the past, some sort of environmental exposure. Um, those are common things. But, but um, there's this particularly bad diagnosis called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis right. or IPF. And the idiopathic means that, that the underlying cause and what what really kind of causes the disease to progress is not entirely known. right. And those people really have a, a poor diagnosis and uh, really need to be evaluated for a potential transplant as an option early
0: on. Right. Okay, 30 seconds, you've got all of Houston listening tonight. Whats your what's your take-home message with regard to lung health and uh, people getting concerned about their lungs?
1: Well, I think uh, that the important thing is to be kind of attuned to um, your body, how right. you're feeling, um, and are you, you know, and and, and this kind of goes hand in hand. And what with wellness and exercising regularly, and right. and th- those are the people that are going to know if there's something that's wrong. Right, um, and you want to avoid exposing yourself to um, uh, inhaled uh, particles and smoke right. and. Uh, um, allergens. Yeah.
0: I mean, the bottom line, if you smoke, stop. All right. Howard, thanks very much for coming in. Dr. Howard Wong, Medical Director of the Lung Transplant Program at Houston Methodist Hospital. I have a feeling we'll have him back on soon. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We will see you next Sunday night. Take care. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegilotti.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Gilotti. Ciao.